that giant kick off and he tells you that you're listening to the power of three podcast and it's christmas eve we're all excited we're is all, it it is christmas, is it christmas eve, eve? it wow. is christmas eve it is i know it seems i know to you it seems like it's the 18th of december but it's not it seems that i know it's, it seems like it's been days ago but it's not i can promise you it's christmas eve i'm kenny smith and I'm David Steele, welcome back. Thank you for joining us. This is, we're not actually recording this on Christmas Eve. So I was a bit surprised when Kenny said this. I've been so busy with work for the last couple of weeks, I have no idea what you know what day it is or what my name is and all this sort of stuff. But anyway, yes, we are back, just the two of us. We did invite Tom um, to join us, but in spirit of the five doctors, he wasn't available. So look out <laughs> for from Shada that might pop up throughout the episode. <laughs> so yeah, it's the two of us and we are doing what we do every Christmas when we have the time. So we're looking at three Doctor Who Christmas specials from the past. And today we're looking at one from the 10th Doctor, one from the 11th and one from the 12th. And you know, if I thought about it, we could have done The Unquiet Dead because it's really a Christmas special that's not a Christmas special in the way that Chimes of Midnight is. I couldn't remember if we'd done that or not. I couldn't remember because I remember we'd... Another, one year, because there was a photograph of us holding some Radio Times the other day on my time hop, I think four years ago, or maybe five years ago, no, it must have been four years ago, we did The Next Doctor, and I think, was it Christmas Invasion? No, couldn't have been. Anyway, I knew we'd done a couple more in the past, but I couldn't remember if we'd done The Unquiet Dead or not. No, but, we can save that for next year. Yeah, if we haven't exhausted the full supply of Christmas stories by now, here's a quick question, Kenny. Do you have a spreadsheet that checks off all the TV Doctor Who stories that we've covered? No, I just go back and look at the previous episodes, because <laughs> okay. that's the kind of person right. I am. I wasn't sure, I, was, I thought you might have been the sort of person that would have kept a, a sort of spreadsheet and followed them in a different colour if we devoted an episode to them. That's fine, just check that's, it. That should um, be a New Year's resolution, but that's next week's problem. Yes, you um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure you'll love a spreadsheet, in fact. Anyway, I'm very good with Excel. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're getting seasonal. Talk to your Christmas specials, it's weird, I think, I'm sure we said this in the past, but it's, and I'm sure I've said that in the past, it's weird how they very quickly became established when the programme came back, isn't it? It is. And they feel like they've always been there, and you think about it, really, it's just been the one from the classic run. And uh, yeah, it's quite it's quite enjoyable just having that thing to look forward to every year because you know that you're not going to get a story that's connected to a main story arc or something like that. You're going to get something that's going to be a bit more fun and there's something you can watch when you've got a full tummy and perhaps you may have had a few liquid refreshments, some of which may or may not contain alcohol. And it's something you can sit back and enjoy and you'll think, What's it going to be a spoof of this time around, or something along those lines? Yeah, I think I think it's fair to say that the sort of the quality and styles have always been quite variable. I mean, my favourite obviously is the Next Doctor because that's my favourite more than episode. I think it's a brilliant story, but you know, as you say, the stuff like Voyage of the Damned, which does the the disaster movie, and that's a, that's another favourite of mine. And then you've got the I, w- I watched it the other week actually in preparation for um for, for the DT coming back to the Doctor. You've got you've got the End of Time, which obviously ran over Christmas and. And a new year, and my God, what a miserable, what a misery fest that was! Watching it again for the first time in ages, you know. So it's um, quite hope that the Church on Ruby Road, when we get it tomorrow, ah, do you see what I did there? Mm-hmm. Um, isn't one of those miserable ones? We hope we're hoping it's going to be quite upbeat and exciting. And I think it probably will be, given all the, the I've not, I've, I've, I haven't watched really any of the preview clips. I've watched the trailer. I'm trying to remain unspoiled, you know. Yeah, the thing that um, I particularly like about the Church in the Ruby Road is that it's going to be on at five fifty-five, and that's like a Doctor Who's transmission time from the eighties when Peter Davison was a Doctor. And on Tuesday at five fifty-five, <laughs> the Doctor faces the mysterious wizard, whatever his name would be, um, from Time yes. Flight. Khaled. Khaled, yes. Time Flight. We should talk about. We should talk about Time Flight one day on the podcast. <laughs> we talk for time. I could talk about Time Flight for for four hundred years quite easily. Anyway, so, 
as Kenny said, we're doing one Christmas ep for the 10th, 11th and 12th Doctors each. Um, which 10th Doctor story are we doing, Kenny? Well, Dave, given that we've done Christmas Invasion, I thought it would be quite nice if we had to watch up The Runaway Bride, given that we've just had Donna back. So it'd be quite nice to see how Donna began. I, this episode could also be called Donna Begins, in a way, if you wanted to be <laughs> superhero about it. <laughs> That's funny. I like that. The genesis of Donna. Um... <laughs> what? Who are you? What? I shall descend upon this earth and shine! You shouldn't even exist! Prepare your best medicine, Doctor Man! Now! Who is that man? I'm the Doctor. Clever, clever boy. Am I safe? I'm not about to lose someone else. Trust me. Christmas! No, it was very it was very interesting watching this again. One of those ones like back in the two thousands you would watch you would just find yourself watching it all the time. I lost count of many times I watched a lot of the the RTD first era episodes because it was just so watchable and just so enjoyable and this is one that I don't think I'd watched I couldn't tell you the last time I'd watched it quite fun I used to watch all the Christmas specials again every year I did that for a good long time mm -hmm. I hadn't seen it ages and it was fascinating watching it compared to what we've just you know the three episodes that we've just had wasn't it? It was it was very very strange but um, shall I tell you what um TARDISFANDOM.COM has to tell us about oh. The Runaway Bride, Dave. Oh, yes, good. Because we've not done that for a long time. Brilliant. That'll be a Absolutely. Laugh. Yes. The Runaway Bride was the 2006 Christmas special of Doctor Who. It was the show's second Christmas special since its revival and the second Christmas special starring David Tennant as the Doctor. It marked the first change of companions since the 2005 revival had begun and also introduced the modern era concept of the one-off, one-story companion. Though, Donna did later return for a full series on her own. The original plan was for only to appear in this episode, thereby blazing a trail that others like Astrid Peth, Jackson Lake, Christina D'Souza and Adelaide Brooke would follow. This episode marked the first appearance of Sylvia Noble. The Runaway Bride was also, from a production point of view, the start of the third series of the programme, though, as with most of the Christmas specials prior to 2012, the episode was considered a standalone. This episode also featured the first spoken reference to Mr. Saxon, first reference on a newspaper in Love and Monsters, who became the story arc of the following episodes. The concept and title had been considered by head writer Russell T. Davis since the BBC Wales incarnation of the show was greenlit in 2003. It had intended to be a series two episode, but after Russell learned with little warning from Jane Tranter at the BAFTA screening of The Parting of the Ways, that not only was there to be a 2005 Christmas special, but a 2006 one as well, Bride was moved ahead to the Christmas slot and, quotes, took on a whole new lease of life, end quotes, as a story following Billy Piper's departure from her role as Ross Tyler, but before the new companion, introduced at the start of the full third series, came in. Bride's spot was replaced by Tooth and Claw, which in turn was bumped up from episode six to episode two. In 2020, The Runaway Bride retroactively became part of the Time Lord Victorious Multimedia event. And there we go. Well, how did they tie that into Time Lord Victorious? I suppose Earth being created and all that sort of stuff. And the Rachnoffs and the, the Dark Times and the Early Times, that's all right. Works. And I suppose David going a bit nuts towards the end. Yeah, but there's no that sign of the Kuturu in it. Yeah, that was fascinating. A fascinating recap. It's very interesting you watching it. I suppose the main thing is me being me. The, the first things that I sort of noticed was how good Davy's hair was, <laughs> um, but how subtly different his accent was from what he's doing now. And he looked about ten. <laughs> <laughs> he looked so young, and he's, he definitely didn't look as skinny as he looks nowadays, which is quite funny. <laughs> it was also really interesting just seeing how Donna evolved sort of through it. You know, she started off almost like a just a caricatured Catherine Tate comedy character. Mm -hmm. very shrill get me to the church all that but by the end of it you know she's she's warmed up she's warmed up to the doctor they've bonded a little bit you know she's had their eyes open to, to so much else and um 
it was it was very very interesting to quote my Hartnell impression that I always do. It was it was fascinating just the contrast. I agree. It's fascinating just to see sort of how a character evolves because she does start off, like I say, as being very one note, but then the more we yeah. get to know her, there's a lot more heart to her, and you know, by the end of it, you're just thinking this is a this is actually there is more to this character to be told, and you feel that particularly with you know with the fact that you get to meet the family, and um, of course we get to see that Sylvia Noble a little hint at her being a a bit of a tyrant, and of course poor old. Howard Atfield is her dad, who we don't get to see too much of, but it's still nice. Sort of yeah. like, the fact there is that back, you, you do get to see a family, which is something that the classic series didn't do. And the bit that I particularly smiled at was when she's putting on the fake tears and she's like, Ooh, when she's been reunited with Lance in the church, and she does that wink yeah. to ten, and, and just think that's such a great, yeah. a great nod. And sort of like she knows exactly what yeah. she's doing. There's more to her than this one note. Uh huh. I mean, you mentioned sort of Sylvia's first appearance, and that that was that was also really cool because it's it's one of these things that has a lot more significance watching it now than it did at the time because you know as you say, Donna was just expected to be a one-off character, and presumably everyone else like Neris and all of that, and and as you say, Donna's mom were all expected to be you know one-off characters as well. So that that was another thing, just seeing how much Sylvia had sort of evolved since we first met her. You know, that still slight antagonism that she always had with the Doctor. The thing that baffled me this time, <laughs> why the heck would someone carry them Christmas Eve, first of all? <laughs> uh, <laughs> what an absolute hassle that would be. But also just like, it was daylight forever. Yes. I don't know, I've, I've, never been, I've never been to London on Christmas Eve. And I think the latest I've been to London is maybe middle of November, I think. And even then, I remember it getting grey and kind of grisly by about four o'clock. But there's there's um there's Davy and Catherine sat on top of that. But and to be fair, they did they did dilute some of the because obviously it was filmed in the height of summer two thousand six. Mm-hmm. They did dilute some of the the bright summer light to make it look a bit more you know pale and wintry. But there was no way it was as light. Given that you know what time what time was she supposed? To, I can't. I should have making a note of it. The time she arrived, she was supposed to be at the church and all that. But there was no way that all the stuff that took place was going to happen in daylight unless she was getting married at what 9am or 10am or something yeah um yep. that was quite that was quite distracting and it was funny seeing all the people wrapped up in their warm clothes and all that you know as mm-hmm. the extras and stuff and of course the famous dt blowing up the cash machine because my friend steve higgins who like yourself has helped us out on the off two podcast this year with some voices he won one of the the banknotes that was produced for that scene Fantastic. At, at a, his prize just a couple of weeks ago at a sort of um a doctor who event over in Missouri where he is so that was quite uh, it was good to kind of go oh be reminded of that but yeah daytime that was really funny no cold breath and it didn't rain can you who gets honestly why would you want to get married on Christmas Eve it's going to be crap <laughs> yeah given that you've got lots of presents the next day to open you'll have double presents it's like having your birthday on the 23rd get married the 20th no it's just just too much too much no, something yeah. that I particularly enjoyed in this I really love the chase on the motorway. I just think it's so different. It was so yeah. brave. And I just think the pace of it, the energy and the fun of it was fantastic. Yeah. Particularly when the kids are going, jump, you know, mouthing to Donna yeah. in the taxi. And it's just so much fun. I mean, okay, the effects, I mean, it looked good at the time and it looks slightly more dated now to CGI, but still looks good. It doesn't look perfect, but I it looks think, good. I think it looked tremendous. I mean, really, it's held up really well. I, I listened to a, a Smallville rewatch podcast that Tom Welling and Michael Rosenbaum do and every so often they'll say well yeah CGI was good for like 20 years ago and it's like well you know you, you don't really have to make that caveat that a lot of the, the technology hasn't really changed too much I, I was I remember being stunned at the at the time the first time I watched it just because I recently said when we talked about Remembrance of the Daleks and stuff prior to as prior to chatting with Andrew Morgan just how sort of impressed I was at um Remembrance of how expensive it looks, you know, this, this, the, all the different Daleks and Dalek shuttlecraft and all that. And I remember watching this one and thinking, yeah, we really are through the looking glass here. Doctor Who's never going to look crap ever again. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the effects for the TARDIS chase down the motorway are phenomenal. Even just the way that the ship sort of bounces off a car. I love that. And the car. How did they do that? You know, I mean, how was there some, you know, somebody inside like, pulling something, I don't know. Maybe Snoop Dogg was driving and he was bouncing the car along the yeah, way Snoop Dogg does. Probably, that's probably what it was. I think you're right. But all that scene was great because that's the first time that Donna really sort of softens towards DT, you know, and obviously there's plenty of chat about Rose. And I think at this point I, w- I was 
I remember it was a, a source of constant irritation to me was the way that they kept going on about Rose because it was um in the olden days when someone left that was it. I remember being very aware of it. And of course it panned out quite interesting, you know, but like spoilers, Rose came back in series four and all. To coin a phrase, it was it was fascinating just again, so much of it just looking back on it now. I mean, um like the dimensions of Torchwood mm-hmm. and because wait a minute, 2006 had was that when series one was on? Yeah, it must have yes, been. Yes, it had been on, yeah. John was back at the end of series three. Bring him back again, you cowards. The, the Torchwood, I remember sort of trying to reconcile that, that Torchwood had bought out this place. I thought, why, why would they do it? And then, of course, as you said earlier on, the mention of Mr. Saxon. Mm-hmm. So I remember my ears pricking up at that on, on broadcast and thinking, all oh, right, okay, that seems a weird thing to give emphasis to. Kind of made me want to keep going, you know, and just watch the whole, especially when the trailer at the end came up, because I loved yes. series three. That's one of the bits, and I love Freema, and it was just like, it was very interesting just being reminded of what I watched. It was a golden age, really, you know, mm-hmm. such a conference. I think, I, mean, I think the episode, it kind of does, it does kind of get a bit stodgy after the the car chase thing. Gets a, it slows down a little bit, get, gets a bit, you know, expositioning, a bit chatty for a little while. And you wish that maybe they had been able to keep the scenes of, of them on the bus or driving in the small bubble car, smart car or whatever, just to kind of liven it up a bit. But it was still, it was still really good. And Sarah, how good was Sarah Parrish? She was terrified. She's brilliant. The Empress of the Rack, I mean, the, the, the Empress of the Rackness looks brilliant. And um, the fact it's a physical costume, not just a CGI yeah. creation. And the fact they've yeah. got this huge thing is amazing. And of course, we did hear about the action figure with Al uh, last week, which was good. But yeah, I love it. I, th- I think it's a great concept. The fact you've got something from old times and it's not just a thing from the new adventures, the olden days and such like. So yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I think it was a great conclusion, great ending. And I just, I still laugh at the, the Ragnos being flushed down the plug hole. Yeah, I mean, um, it was pretty cool having Sarah Parrish in because obviously she'd worked with DT and Blackpool as, as had um, obviously Dave Morrissey, who's going to be along in a couple of years, and obviously they got Sean Parks, who DT had worked with in Casanova, to appear in the in the Sanctuary-based story. I was always a bit disappointed they never got him back. I was always disappointed they never, they never went back to that scenario. But I believe Torchwood have just done some stories of those characters so, on, on via Big Finish, so I'm going to investigate them at some point. No, it was cute. I like when they kind of it's kind of like when they got Kate O'Mara in to play the Rani because she'd worked opposite Colin and the Brothers. It would have been nice if, for example, Christopher Timothy or Robert Hardy had appeared opposite Peter Davison in one story, you know. Yes. It's that sort of thing. It's nice to, to see actors appearing opposite people they've worked with before, especially in you know, roles as different as the, as the, as the Empress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's, it's a great episode. I was watching it and I had a big smile on my face when it finished. And like you, I thought I could quite happily carry on watching season three now and... Uh, yeah. yeah, it's or series three, I should say, not season three. Um, but yeah, it, it's great fun, great music, great original song, and yeah, love it. There's a couple last things I want to mention about it. Um, at one point, the doctor says, Shazam. <laughs> that amused me. That amused me. That was funny. And the other thing is, there's a scene when the doctor sort of explains how Don ended up in the TARDIS. And he illustrates this by dropping a pen into a cup. And I, I remembered at the time I was this went out, I was reading the Alan Moore comic series Promethea for the first time. And Promethea is one of the most rewarding comics I've ever read. It's I would re- any comic fans that are out that listen to this show that haven't read it, I would encourage you unreservedly. And it talks a lot. That series talks a lot about symbolism, and you know, it's very very deep. So. To try and keep it family friendly, the pen represents something and the cup represents something symbolically. So when I remembered in 2006 almost having a fit at Christmas Day at tea time as the doctor stood dropping the pen into the cup. (laughs) (laughs) I shall say no more at this time. So yes, listeners, go and read Prometheus, it'll change your life. Going back to actually what you're saying about it being put in with Time Lord Victorious, because the scene at the end when the doctor basically drowns the Rachnos and you know, no mercy from DT this that was a bit Time Lord Victorious, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. That was that, you know, like the end of Waters of Mars when he when he when he knows he's the last of the Time Lords and the rules don't apply to him anymore. He makes the rules, you know, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. That was very interesting because we didn't see too much of that side of him 
in the episodes where he just came back. Yeah, no second so, um, chances. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was very interesting just watching. Gave, gave, I mean, the episodes have only just been on, but it gave me a whole heightened appreciation of what he'd been doing in the the 60th anniversary specials. You know, it wasn't just a retread of what he'd done before. So it just it just highlights what a good actor DT actually is. Yeah, it's these skinny boy Dave's from Paisley. They're all right. <laughs> oh, hang on, that's you Thanks too. Okay, well, that's story number one. Story number two is the snowmen. So let's skip forward five years. There's a man. He lives on a cloud. And all he does is to stop all the children in the world ever having bad dreams. Tomorrow the snow will fall and so shall mankind. Such a winter as this world has never known is coming. It will build an army of ice. What do we do? Clara who? Doctor who? Oh, dangerous question. What's wrong with dangerous? Doctor Who, this Christmas on BBC One and BBC One HD. Dave, could you tell us what our friends over at TARDIS Fandom have to say about it? Because I'm sure that it's going to be concise and not at all nitpicky or anything like that. Yes, I can. The Snowmen is an episode of the British science fiction television series Doctor Who. First broadcast on Christmas Day 2012 on BBC One. It's the eighth Doctor Who Christmas special since the show's 2005 revival and the first to be within a series. Ah. It was written by head writer and executive producer Stephen Moffat and directed by Saul Meltstein, with the special produced in August 2012 and filmed on location in Newport, Wales and Bristol. Set in the Victorian era, the story sees the Doctor, Matt Smith, an alien time traveller, retired and in hiding. He is soon forced out of hiding to investigate mysterious sentient snowmen that are building themselves and meets Clara Oswald, played by Jenna Louise Coleman, a governess also investigating the snowmen with the help of allies Salurian, Madame Vastra, Eve McIntosh, her human wife Jenny Flint, Caitlin Stewart and Sontaran Strax, Dan Starkey. They discover that the snowmen are being animated by the Great Intelligence, voiced by Ian McKellen, with the help of a man named Dr. Simeon, Richard E. Grant. The episode builds upon a surprise introduction of the Doctor's new companion in Asylum of the Daleks. Technically, it's not. The, you know, and acts as the opening component for the overarching plot of the second half of the seventh series, concerning her appearances before she's encountered the present day in the following episode, The Bells of St. John. The episode also introduced a redesigned TARDIS and a change of costume for Smith's Doctor, alongside a revised title sequence and theme music to coincide with the build-up to the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who. Viewing figures, blah, blah, blah. Snowman was fed positive critics, blah, blah, blah. Most of whom received the introduction, but were critical overall else. Yeah, anyway, that'll do. That'll that, do. The snowman. Yeah, that works. Now, it's been fair to say that in the past, you've been quite vocal in that you didn't always enjoy what your fellow Paisley buddy, Mr. Moffat, did with yes. the show. But how did you find this one? Oh, I really like this one. This is the one that I liked at the time. I liked it a lot. And watching it again, I really enjoyed it too. It's, it's, I, th- I think was it last year we talked about last Christmas. We did, and I, I found it quite a long time after the event as it was. The stuff that annoyed me didn't annoy me as much, but it still annoyed me. <laughs> <laughs> so, but there wasn't really much in this one that annoyed me. But um, I certainly I, I liked it. I remember at the time liking it a lot, a lot more than the Widow, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and a lot more than a Christmas Carol. It's a bit of a tour de force for Matt, for Matt Smith. This episode gives him plenty to do. He's very, very funny and also gets a lot of heavy drama stuff as well. The scenes with him and Strax especially were hilarious. Yeah. You know, the stuff with the memory worm. And it's, I mean, it's, not, it's not high comedy or high concept, but it was very, very funny. Dan Starkey is phenomenal. He's one of the best current actors in Doctor Who the, of, the, of the modern era. He's just superb. And, you know, the, the chocolate box setting was done very, very well. Jenna's very likeable. I've forgotten that Clara dying wasn't actually at the end of the episode sort of thing. It was, it was, um, it almost, been, you know, like I said about wanting to keep going with series three, I almost wanted to watch through the rest of, um, of the, the 2013 episodes after watching this. I might do so, even though, um, I find them annoying and joyous in equal measure. It was a really good setup for the, for the Impossible Girl arc. Really, really, actually really impressed with how well that was done. And it's, it was quite savvy to use the Christmas special to do it because that's the one that more people are going to watch and, you know, that's it's kind of almost a, you've almost got a kind of captive audience on Christmas Day, so it was good for that. Apart from the the usual getting bashed over your head with the fact that Madame Vastra and Jenny are married, um, which always just 
it's just it has no subtlety <laughs> that's what annoys me about it it's just bang they're married yes we know bang did you remember they're married yes bang she married a lizard yes I know aside from all that I, I'd very I couldn't really pick a lot of faults with this I remember at the time being not too fussed about the the inclusion of the great intelligence and it seemed to make even less of an impact on me this time but um, I really enjoyed it really really enjoyed it I think visually it looks great. The snowmen themselves are fantastic. They're nice and creepy. I do wish that Al had made an action figure of them, but again, they'd be more of an inaction figure. But of course, Saul Metstein, who you mentioned earlier, who directed this, he is a Glaswegian. And I interviewed him oh, a few okay. years back in the Tartan Tardis supplement in the Day of the Record for the 50th anniversary. And um, he was really nice, really, really, really nice guy. Very friendly, very chatty, um, good at his job. I love matched costume in this that it just absolutely suits it doesn't he that victorian look that's that street urchin yes. artful dodger kind of feel to it yes he looks great yeah um I, I liked all the stuff about not wearing the bow tie and such like you know the, the the symbolism of that as it were that was all quite good you know how much the bow tie was sort of tied up in his identity as the doctor you know because obviously when he, he takes the bow tie off when he's he's about to regenerate and it's, it's it's all very heavy no he looks brilliant I couldn't remember if I got an action figure of that costume or not I don't think I did oh because it was issued twice so there was one with top hat and one yeah. without and of course that's the one that a big finish had been using recently for the 11th Doctor Chronicles with that extra wee mini yeah. series fitting in there which is wonderful yes. really good series is that series sort of set during this period yes it's set after the snowmen when the Doctor's looking for Clara and that's Ray Encounters right. Valerie, so yes, it's worth a. Diff oh, sorry, my look was just happened to Matt figure, to Matt's figure, as you can see on the <laughs> YouTube channel. His hand's fallen off. Okay. <laughs> Thankfully, it goes back on. Yep, so he's back. Um, other things I enjoyed about this, I love Clara's reaction to the TARDIS thing. It's smaller on the outside, and just think, it's such an obvious. It just made me laugh. It's such an an, an amusing inversion of what we normally get. Um, and I love that console yep. room. It is beautiful. I've said it before, but I loved it. Yeah, I um, I was reminded watching it just how much I'd liked that that um that control room because I I hadn't really liked Matt's first one at all. Yeah, I really hadn't cared for it. So it was a ma massive improvement for me. You know, and it evolved slightly. You know, in, into the PCAP era, and I think that was probably my, my when I, I really liked it because you know, they made they put in more books and made the roundels a bit more a bit more emphatic. So it was it was joyous for that. And you know, we didn't talk about the title sequence. No, I, we haven't. I'd forgotten how much I liked the sequence, and it was only on what eight, what seven or eight episodes. Mm -hmm. So that that was it was nice seeing that again because I I'd, I'd remembered when that episode started on on when it was going out, like how exciting it was seeing the new title sequence and you know reviewing it when the, the DVD came along. Um, so it was, yeah, there was some some interesting changes, like, you know, going into Matt's sort of third series. It was um, it was very, very enjoyable revisiting them. I wish he, it was one of those things that the more I was watching it, I just, the, the same old lament, I wish he'd stayed longer. I wish he'd done more. Yeah, I agree. He's, he's fab. It's just the the joy that he takes when he sort of, um, when he sort of realised there's a little bit more to Clara than meets the eye and, He's sort of, and it, he yeah. gets that spark back in the joy of, of being himself, and gets over losing the points. Yeah. As his um his resistance sort of starts to kind of you know wait, and the bit when he realises he put the bow tie back on was pretty cool. The one bit which actually I'd, I'd also forgotten about, which I remembered um, and, and it was interesting sort of watching it. You know what seven? How long now? Ten, God, longer than ten years. Wow. 11 years nearly after the event. My goodness. Christmas 2012 was the last full one I worked at HMV at Girl Street. And that was, I remember that being a good Christmas because the temps were amazing that year. Anyway, the Sherlock Holmes reference, you know, when the, the doctor flounced in and they played, they played the theme tune from the, the Benedict Cumberbatch sort of yes. series. And I'd forgotten about that. I, I was, I did laugh. It didn't irritate me. People would be delighted to know. I was very amused by that. I'd forgotten they'd done that. That, that shows, real balls and real confidence from Mr Moffat, you know, to do something like that. It's yep. very, very funny. Yeah. Two other things that I've got here in my notes. The production design by Michael Pickwood as a as a rule is always top notch. And and that just including the new console room and that. And just it always looks so good. Michael Pickwood, I think, was a 
somebody who was perhaps not as a contribution wasn't quite as recognised until after he'd gone. And the other thing I've written down here are the main two guest stars, Richard E. Grant and Serene McKellen. And just wow, I mean, this shows yeah. even then, you know, you're getting top notch British talent coming into the show. Absolutely. I mean, let's be honest, it could have been anyone doing the voice of the, the intelligence. They could have just put a modulation effect on onto Richard E. Grant and it would have worked. Um, I thought Richard E. Grant was great. He was really good in it. Um, obviously, you know, we can't we can't not say this was his first proper appearance in the show after doing Scream of the Shalka. Um so no, he was he was very good. I mean that that organically brings us to the whole the use of the great intelligence. I like the fact that do you remember when we when we reviewed the Dalek Universe set and I was I was in fits of rage at the Doctor, instantly recalling events from the, the fourth Doctor story. Yes. Do you remember that? Yes, straight fits away. Fits of rage is maybe, yeah, rage is maybe a mild overstatement, but I was impressed by the fact that the Doctor didn't automatically say, the great intelligence, you know, of course, and, oh, of course, I met the great intelligence in, in the web of fear and the abominable snowman. He, he wasn't too, it didn't immediately sort of come back to him as, as what was going on. I was impressed by that rather than having complete recollection of what happened to the Trouton Doctor. I, I remember at the time kind of rolling my eyes a little bit. At, I mean, I roll, rolling my eyes at some of the sentiment, like, you know, the whole family crying on Christmas Day, and it's like... <laughs> but I remember kind of rolling my eyes a little bit at the sort of how pointed that was. You know, Do you see what we're doing here? We're, we're referencing two Patrick Trouton stories. Fascinating to think that we got one of them back within a year, you know, yes. within a year, more or less. So that was interesting. I've often wondered if that was deliberate or just coincidence. I remember some discussion about it when the episodes came back, but I don't recall now at this at this stage what pe- what what the um the discourse decided. But the the intelligence thing was funny. Having the map of the underground, I mean, it might have been more interesting to say something about you know a trip to Tibet or something. Maybe that might have been um more subtle. I don't know. But no, that was it was interesting. Great intelligence is one of those ones. It's like it's, I've got a memory that was it used in one of the newer missing adventures at some point. McKinton used it, it, didn't he? In Millennial Rights. That's what I'm thinking of. Thank you, thank you. Couldn't remember. I think all that's the great intelligence is still a little bit untapped. When are we going to do our live commentary of of downtime, Kenny? <laughs> I've got a DVD there. I've not <laughs> watched it. In, we'll do it I've not watched it in more than twenty years. <laughs> We'll do it after we do the Airzone solution. Yeah. <laughs> so no, no, this this was a nice one to revisit. I, I I enjoyed it a lot more than I expected. I remember when this one went out, I was still in the middle of doing my complete watch through from the start, so of the whole program. So I was quite objective about everything that I was watching. I remember in the past discussing how much last Christmas had annoyed me, but divorced from the, its sort of its in situ sort of position, it didn't annoy me as much. And this one hadn't annoyed me I don't think this one annoyed me at all but I enjoyed it certainly the most out of Matt's Christmas episodes and I think that's still fair to say I think it's still definitely my favourite 11th Doctor Christmas episode Fantastic well I enjoyed it really enjoyed it it's just good fun looks amazing and it does you know set things up nicely with that final scene with Clara walking over her own grave effectively and not noticing anyone Uh, which was great I really enjoyed that and it definitely sets you up to go on with the next one yeah, we should say as well, Jenna was brilliant. She really oh, was. Wonderful. Um, what go, a real pro, and not her fault that Barrett ended up being maybe slightly overwritten or slightly outstanding her welcome year. Was, she was very, very good, very, very watchable to die for in so many ways, and just brilliant in this story. Perfect. Well, Dave, we've talked about one Stephen Moffat Christmas episode, so why don't we skip forward four <laughs> years? And we're now going to have... Yeah. The return of Doctor Mysterio. I'm back. Who are you? The Doctor. 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 Uh, the ghost. Who's the ghost? Masked vigilante, but he's super. <gasps> this seems nice. We're here to open your minds. What are those blind things? That are in life forms. Hey! Don't do that. Die. Doctor Who returns on BBC One. Shall I tell you what they have to say about it over at TARDISFandom.com? Oh, please do. 
the return of Dr. Mysterio, you've got to say it like that, the return of Dr. Mysterio was the 2016 Christmas special of Doctor Who. It was the show's 12th Christmas special since its revival and the third Christmas special starring Peter Capaldi as a Doctor. It saw the return of Nardole from the previous Christmas special, this time as the Doctor's companion. The circumstances leading to Nardole's return were not explained until 2017's Extremists. Due to the delay in Series 10's broadcast, this was the only episode to be aired in 2016. Stephen Moffat was hugely influenced by the comic books he loved as a child in writing this episode, particularly Superman, Moffat's favourite superhero, both then and now. By his own account, he took particular inspiration from the Christopher Reeve Superman films of the 1970s and 80s. Though clearly humorous in tone, The Return of Doctor Mysterio explores many common superhero themes such as the hero's secret identity, his origin story, and a love triangle involving both the hero and the man behind the mask. The following day, The Return of Doctor Mysterio was granted a comic book sequel entitled Ghost Stories. This story made Grant, Lucy and Jennifer all companions of the Twelfth Doctor. So there we go, Dave. I've deliberately picked this one because I know your love of superheroes and of course you do after all co-host a podcast all about superheroes over on the Earth 2 podcast featuring the golden, yeah. silver and bronze ages of the DC characters and how they sort of meet up and stuff and all their incarnations and um, <laughs> I'm just summing it up very, very badly and um, so I thought this would be fascinating to hear your thoughts on it because I don't remember us discussing this before Right. When I did my Radio Times profile pitch for this one, I was lamp- I lampooned the um, the Marvel movie posters of the time, where I stood in the start the stockroom in HMV and was photographed, and then dropped myself into a photograph of the Tardis and Buchanan Street, you know, with obviously wrong light sources and stuff like the Avengers posters. So it's quite funny remembering remembering that aspect of it and where I was when I was doing it. Where did I start? Again, it's, it was better than I remember that. I think I'd only watched it once. I, I don't even... I, I'm sure I'm able... But it baffles me. I'm, I can't only just have watched it when it, the day it went out. Because certain bits of it lodged in my head, like Nardole talking about Constantinople and all that sort of stuff. Nardole was my favourite part of it. I'll say that straight away. What I found was interesting was that this was obviously Mr Moffat wanting to talk about superheroes because this was the peak of the MCU. You know, This was um, you know, around the time of... Of Batman versus Superman as well, and you know, I think what was it Captain America: Civil War, and I think the first Doctor Strange movie came out in 2016. So superheroes were very zeitgeisty. And going back to what you said at the top of the episode, you know, about how Christmas specials are always a little bit looser in the way that in the sort of story they tell, and how they're not always as attached to the main sort of narrative or the main the normal sort of style. I remember finding elements of this quite jarring when it first went out. I mean, I'm going to be brutally honest and say that some of Mr. Moffat's deconstruction of Superman, etc., he didn't say anything new. Didn't really say anything new at all. People have been making jokes about Clark Kent putting on glasses and people not being able to recognise him for, for decades. The thing that struck me was some of the comic covers that um, that Grant, Grant as a little boy, had as posters. And I, I clocked issues, more than one issue of the Defenders, I clocked issue 181 of the Hulk, which was the first appearance of Wolverine, as anyone listening will tell you. There was, you know, some detective comics. He was flicking through the bit when the Doctor defaced a John Byrne issue of Superman, which I think, by the looks of it, is run about, must be about, from about early 1988 or thereabouts, given how long John Byrne was on Superman. I remember a, a tweet from Mark Wade, who's a very prominent important um, comic book writer who's done the best ever run of The Flash ever, as far as I'm concerned, in the 90s. He also did a very important DC series called Kingdom Come. He's written brilliant runs on Fantastic Four, Daredevil. He currently writes Shazam and is knocking that out of the park. And I remember a tweet from Mark that said something like, stay in your lane, Moffat. That was all he said. So it was interesting thinking about that, that, that Stephen Moffat um, attempting to, to deconstruct superheroes and say pointed things about superheroes but at a time when superheroes were quite fashionable and not really to be honest saying anything desperately original there was some stuff you mentioned that when you were doing the TARDIS fandom wiki section there there was a lot of stuff that was really obviously referencing Superman the movie and I found myself sort of thinking is Doctor Who the place for this and he thought you know 
a Christmas special, fair enough, it's light and fluffy, but I just found it a bit jarring and it, it didn't really quite land with me, to be honest. Monologue over. <laughs> Interesting. I mean, I think, I mean, I knew that you wouldn't like the X-ray vision stuff, even though it was sort of, you did try to skirt over it and, but I suppose it's a, a, well, a typical Moffaty thing to do. That's the thing. It's, um, that's what I mean when I say that he was alluding to, to aspects of Superman. That it's been, it's all been done before. Smallville, the episode of Smallville in the 2000s, when Clark, played by the, the magnificent Tom Welling, first develops his sort of vision powers. You know, they they'd done all that sort of stuff already. And I, I think, to be honest, like Moffat, it's a sort of obvious thing you'd expect Moffat to make jokes about. But it wasn't too bad. It was on the right side of crass. It didn't bother me because it's um. You know, it was. It, it could have been worse. Put it that way. Yes, that's true. I'm sure. just just going through my notes here. Just like you said, superheroes seemed an obvious thing to do. A sort of a take on, given how popular they were at the time. Yeah. And I've also, you know, also here the you know the origin story. It's interesting how, once again, a Stephen Moffat script, particularly at Christmas, involves children, and you know how they're at the core of the story. You know, the fact that you've got. Baby Jennifer is the one who's sort of constantly needing protection as a as a baby, and we get Grant as a little boy. And I mean, Capaldi is just incredible in this episode. I think he's yes, yes, he's is one of his best performing. I mean, not that he ever gives a bad performance, but he's just so good. And he's just, the fact that when he's talking to Grant, younger Grant, it's just just so matter of fact, and it's just the joy. And he thinks he's telling him something new about just draw glasses on and look, it's him and it's like, he's just being so naive to it and I found that sort of quite charming and sort of just like his night and sort of like a childlike yeah. naivety. I think that there'd been a, a definite effort between this one and the previous Christmas special to kind of lighten up the Twelfth Doctor and it worked very well and again it made me want to go on and straight on and watch the next series so am I right in thinking this was supposed to, is this the people talk about the time that for the Doctor and the Doll this was set during the 2017 series in, no, in the chronology, was it? I'm pretty sure this is before. I'm sure it's meant to be before it, right. uh, but it all kicks in. It's not like they're having a day off from guarding the vault. I'm pretty sure it's... Right, I wasn't, I wasn't yeah. sure. I'd remember sort of some discussion about that at the time. People sort of postulated, you know, in a similar way to people sort of postulating that if you watch season eight of the original series, um, in a different, you know, it runs in a different order for the Master than it does for the Doctor. It was interesting from that. Now, PCAT was excellent in it. It, some of it, you know, some of the stuff he had to do was quite corny, but it was, it was fine. And he's so, him and Matt Lucas worked so well together. Oh, totally. Um, Matt kind of um, always playing against it in a lot of ways, and being you know the straight man, and kind of you just remember how good he is in his final scenes and and um and the Doctor Falls, and just you know, and actually in more ways. That, I remember when Catherine Tate came back as a full time companion, and some people were a bit, and she proved them all wrong, obviously. But I think in in many ways Matt did an even better job, and that doesn't I don't mean anything against Catherine when I say that. I think Matt did an even better job as Nard, as Nardole. Yeah. Um, with Catherine the emphasis did. on the doll. As, no. as you know, as far as you know, certain what people's expectations were going to be and all that sort of stuff. So um, it was it was fun because as I say, I think I I was certain I'd only watched this once. It was really interesting just watching. It almost felt like getting a new bonus. Nardole and Doctor episode in a way. Yeah. Now, just um, what you're talking about there about Nardole coming back and Matt Lucas. I interviewed Nardole. him in the summer of 20, 2017, 2018? 17. I was down in London. He was at the London Film and Comic Convention and I went up and got a quick right. word with him. Sadly, I didn't ask him about the one Doctor because that would have been really good, but I didn't. And um, just chatting to him and I noticed beforehand people were you know, sort of requesting interviews with him for podcasts. And he was saying, what's the name of your podcast? And somebody told him. And so he was thinking, he was just, you could see it's like, just like brain calculating. And said, hang on, no, wait, wait, wait. You said that you thought I was a, I was a big mistake bringing back the character of Nardole. And uh, I'm, I'm so, because you were quite rude about me and uh, I'm going to say thank you, but no thank you. And just thought, wow, that's a man who pays attention to detail. And... Just wow. think, yeah, absolutely. I think well done, well done, you, Matt. Because I mean, I was rem I remember being yeah. really surprised that they brought him back, and then they brought him back again as companion. Because I remember, for, you know, for series ten, they said he'd be popping up occasionally, but because everybody loved him so much, yeah. 
that they made sure that he was in every single episode. They gave him a wee scene here and there, and he's brilliant. He's just yeah. so lovable. You don't quite know who he, oh, is. he is. You know, we never find out. But he's just such a good character and perfect for Peacap. Yeah. yeah, he is. He's he's, he's my favourite part of that of that whole that whole period. Um, and as, as I've said in the past, I would I would have uh, three or four years of the Doctor Bill and and Nardo quite easily. You know, they were they were great to watch together, and. I, it's just so subtle what he does. I mean, I've, I'm looking at the rest of my notes. Um, there was another obvious, there was a couple of other Superman references I think we should pick out. The sort of rotating globe on top of the building that was very yep. daily planned. But also there was references, I think, lawyers called Schuster and Siegel, who are obviously the, the creators of Superman. Um, and that, again, that's what I mean about it being done on the very on the nose. That sort of in-joke thing has been done elsewhere in comics media sort of a thousand times. So it's, it was... Um, I think, like you know, if you were ever, if there was ever a point where Doctor Who was going to do a superhero story, it was going to be around about this period because you know, the films were at their sort of you know, peaking as far as you know, audience interest and all this sort of stuff. I think it's fair to say that they've kind of fallen away a little bit now, but it was it was interesting. I um I was sort of struck by I would think it struck really struck me was the fact that these posters of um random issues of the Defenders. The Defenders, my favourite Marvel comic. It sort of uh, ran from the seventies into the eighties. A sort of a loose team organised around Doctor Strange and, and the Hulk, essentially, and, and later on some of the members of the X Men. So I was sort of fascinated. I thought it'd be great to try and find out which member of the Doctor Who production staff was responsible for getting these large versions of all these comic covers printed out. While I'm sure yep. you could probably get a, a commercially poster of issue one hundred eight one of the Hulk, I don't remember ever seeing commercially available posters of you know. Defenders issue 104 or 106 or whichever ones it was it was quite interesting for all that apparently kind of wanted to watch it again just to, because the I found myself focusing more on the superhero stuff than the Harmony Shoal stuff mm-hmm. now would have anything to do with the, the creatures from from last Christmas no not the dream crabs but, no, so no different crabs. different things entirely I would say did they bring them back that whole I mean the whole he- people's heads splitting in half type thing was quite gruesome that was that was really quite ugh. yeah and I know that the, the Big Finish have done something with them or doing something with them so but I found myself actually not really paying too much attention to this aspect of the plot I was more concerned with just actually can I see a bit more of the Doctor and Abdul I got a bit bored towards the end really because the Harmony Show thing was a bit generic and a bit ordinary I don't know if it was some, something else he was doing to sort of pastiche superhero movies and again because of all the stuff with Grant it wasn't anything I hadn't seen already, mm-hmm. so I, I was just gonna my interest kind of faded out a little bit, and I was just like, "Can we just get some more scenes of the of Peter Capaldi and Matt Lucas acting together, please? Because they're amazing." So out, out of the three we've done today, it's definitely the one that I enjoyed the least, definitely the weakest I felt, and so atypical for the story, and not in a good way, I think. Um, I, I wouldn't say I was quite my opinion was quite as harsh as as Mark Wade because the fun thing to do is a a disposable Christmas episode and I'm not one of these people that really likes to think of the Christmas episodes as disposable but um, you know it didn't upset me or offend me put it that way well that's always a good start with you Dave <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I still love the fact that the whole the whole thing of that you was all sort of based on a misunderstanding with the take this line and I found that quite funny because yeah. it's sort of, because it does look like Metin sort of like he's created his own problem but in the end it's, it worked for me and it made me laugh I've never read the comic which seems quite ironic that TV show about superhero spin gets a spin-off comic yeah I've I um I'm sure I picked up a couple of them because they, the covers that they did homaged um well-known superhero comic covers on occasion I'll need to have a look through the pile the pile which is still sitting over there after I dug it out before I I've chat with the lovely Will Brooks the other yep. day and I remember yeah the the, the, they did a sort of spin-off comic and I sort of thought of course they did <laughs> of course they're going to do a spin-off comic well if you find them I'd quite like to read them if I may borrow them next time I see you so I, that would be lovely I don't I don't think about, think about the whole thing but I, th- I think I picked up a couple but I'll, I'll dig them out and I'll, I'll, I'll see if I've still got them let me have a look excellent well that's been a, a little joyous trip down Christmas past and visiting some of those ghosts and uh, having a having a few laughs along the way and just remembering how brilliant each of the individual doctors were in these stories absolutely absolutely so what's your Christmas plans tomorrow 
going through well as it's as it's Christmas Eve today when we're listening I'll probably be listening to this en route as I head through to my mum's all going well I was at SWG3 yesterday for the silence so that's quite interesting and we're recording this listeners the day after I worked for Roachford at St Luke's I got a photograph of Roachford it was amazing it was really really good that was really cool brilliant touring crew what a nice man etc so yes I'm going through at my mum's last year we, we had Christmas at my sister's but my sister doesn't have a telly so we're going to my mum's so we can watch Doctor Who I think you should get your sister a telly for a Christmas well she has it she has a telly but she just doesn't have a TV licence oh okay well that's good well I'm pleased that she's not watching it and switching it on that's good to hear she's obeying the law so we don't need to inform um, Russell T and the BBC so that's all good and what are you doing Kenny? Well, we're going to head down south. Uh, we'll be travelling, we'll, we'll be leaving about half eleven today and uh, travelling AM and travelling south to go and visit family in Salisbury and have Christmas down there, then back up on Wednesday. Sadly, we can't bring Nemo the cat with us. Um, he's going to have to go in the cattery, but um, we'll get him back on Wednesday when we come back up the road. Um, but yeah, it's... It's all looking fun. I'm looking forward, of course, to 5.55pm, because that is a proper Doctor Who time from the <laughs> 80s, so all will you, um, there. Will you get peace to watch it yourself, or will, you, will, you, or will, you, will everyone be talking through it and talking well, over it? I'll, make, I'll be making sure that even if I'm watching it on my phone, I'll be watching it, so <laughs> yes, I'm sure I will get peace and quiet to put on the big telly and uh, enjoy it <laughs> in a, a nice big screen, so yeah. But Dave, I've before yeah. I wish you all the best for the season. Would you like to come back next Sunday and join me for a special Hogmanay episode with our special Scottish guest who's been a regular in Doctor Who, but we're not going to say who she is yet? I suppose I'd have to. How mysterious. Yes, okay. All being well, that should be fun. Interesting. Mm, mysterio, perhaps, if you prefer. But not that, that guy that makes with, the think, with the dome that head. That makes me think you've got Aldi to come on and that would be mental. <laughs> Anyway, let's not let's not assume that that's the case. Listeners, Merry Christmas. Thank you for listening all this year and all the, the the ridiculous levels of episodes we've been hurling out at you over the last couple of months. And thank you to Kenny for all the hard work he's put in and editing and all that and for his continued friendship. It means a lot. You're very kind, Dave. Well, thank you to you for all your, your company and uh, putting up with my ridiculous deadlines. And hey, any chance <laughs> if you get time to do this? And of course, to John and Stevie and Tom when he is able to pop up as well. And uh, making sure that we've brought you somewhere in the region of about 70 odd episodes this year, considering we hadn't done any for about <laughs> six, seven months. And then we've brought you all these ones. And hey, it's fun. That's the most important part of it. As long as we're having fun and hopefully everybody listening at home or in the car or wherever they tune in is having fun too absolutely right kids hope Santa's good to you take care um, I suppose I have to ask you what we're playing out with today well I think it'd be appropriate to play out with a, a song that we mentioned earlier when we were talking about The Runaway Bride and Mr Neil Hannon from the wonderful Divine Comedy and Love Don't Roam that'll do right cheers folks see you later Merry Christmas to all of you at home well I've roamed about this earth with just a suitcase in my hand And I've met some bug-eyed Joes, I've met the blessed, I've met the damned But of all the strange, strange creatures in the air, at sea, on land Oh my girl, my girl, my precious girl, I love you, you understand So reel me in, my precious girl, well come on and take me home 